0: Welcome to Sexplicit, a podcast which offers free, quality and up-to-date sexuality education. In this podcast series, we will be talking about sex and sexuality explicitly. No topic is too taboo and no question is inappropriate. This is a safe and educational space to explore your deepest curiosities. My name is Anissa I'm a clinical sexologist And this is Sexplicit. Welcome to another episode of Sexplicit. We've been overwhelmed by the incredible response and feedback that we've received from our listeners. And we are excited to bring you this new episode today. Based on your requests, it seems that many of you want to know more about my life story and the journey that led me to become a clinical sexologist. So I've decided to dedicate this entire episode to sharing my perspectives and life context and the experiences that shaped my path. Today in this conversation, you will hear from our brilliant communications manager, Amanda Mountford, as she delves deep into all things sexuality with me, and we will explore the key moments, the challenges, and the revelations that led me towards starting a sexology practice in in Australia. So this is an honest discussion that goes beyond the surface. Whether you're a long-term listener, or you're just joining us today, this episode will offer you a glimpse into my personal journey and will provide, hopefully, a richer understanding of the field of sexology.
1: So how did you get into the sexology field? I studied psychology, mm-hmm. a Bachelor
0: of Psychology, and I did some work after graduation with Relationships Australia as a sexual health counsellor. And I worked with people who had bloodborne viruses like HIV, hepatitis. And in that context, I had to have conversations with people about sex and sexuality. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it just made me realize that I'm really interested in this area. But I also had some previous experiences in life as well that shaped my view of sexuality and. Mm-hmm sexual health if you're familiar with my life story or the listeners they probably know that I come from a very conservative community and um, a religious community so sex was never discussed it was taboo to talk about it was very shameful and so as a young adult I had a lot of questions and Mm. curiosity like many people really about sex but Somehow I wanted to pursue it further and learn more and explore it even further than just the superficial information that I got. So I remember one time that I was in this religious group We were talking about, um, this was when I lived in Turkey, we were talking with our community members, other community members about how to have conversations with other people about the faith and, you know, spread the word and things like that. And one person said, who would be happy to have conversations with homosexuals and prostitutes? And sorry about the language, but that was the language that was used. And and I was like, me, me, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I thought probably very selfishly I thought that was probably my only chance to be able to have conversation with these groups of people to hear it firsthand what is their experience and what does it mean to be a sex worker what does it mean to be attracted to the same gender Mm -hmm. so yeah um, these sort of experiences in life really shaped my interest in Mm -hmm. sex and sexuality and also coming across people in my life, um, helpful people or positive experiences and negative in some ways as well. I remember that the first person that I was dating told me that pornography is really great and is really exciting, but it's not real. He shared with me some links to some websites that um, had sex ed- education And it talked about different types of sex and how to keep yourself protected Mm -hmm. and safe. And um, so, yeah, I'm very thankful to that person that I met many years ago. And when I was reading all the information about Sex and sexuality, well, it did have the effect of porn on me, to be very honest. Okay. <laughs> but at least it was um, accurate. It wasn't okay. all, you know, fantasy. Right. Mm. Yes. And that's the thing I think that shaped, again, my experience around sex and sexuality and my interest in this field was the negative experiences that I had. And as a child, I had experiences of sexual assault and abuse, and I, I was never able to talk to anyone, my parents or any adults about it. Also, as a, as a young person in my 20s as well, unfortunately, I had a couple of very negative experiences. And so that motivated me to make a difference, to mm. talk to parents and to equip them with the tools that they need to keep their children safe also to give the tools that survivors of sexual assault need to be able to have conversations with whoever they want to around
1: what happened so yeah that's what that was a long answer it was no that was so interesting and there was so much in that that i want i wanted to go into so many different tangents but i think um i guess i might just sort of start with the what you finished with in in that terms of sexual assault i mean because that's been an experience of mine as well um Mm -hmm. as a child i was sexually assaulted too and it makes me think you know just how much of that is going on and and are we able to you know make a difference um Mm -hmm. in the you know future of of children ongoing and what's your what are your thoughts on that you know is is this a big huge motivator for you which sounds like it is it is absolutely and I think, yes,
0: we can definitely make a difference. Mm. Anyone can make a difference yes. by just yes. being willing to, to learn and to have conversations around sexuality. And I think what is the biggest barrier for mm. survivors to access support or for children to disclose around sexual assault and sexual abuse is the shame around sexuality Mm -hmm. is that it stigmatizes that feeling of maybe it was somehow my fault that it happened to me that motivated me to even write a book for parents about how to have conversations with children about sex and sexuality regardless of their age so having age-appropriate conversations and to bring up sexually intelligent kids so that's so necessary yeah yes and I think that it may sound like a very small thing but parents can make a huge difference Hmm. Um, and not just parents any family member aunties and uncles and sisters and brothers being a safe adult for a child is really really important Hmm. and you don't need to have all the sex information the latest information to be able to provide that safety for for the child
1: yes okay. we know
0: that and you know i know that as a professional now that for a lot of survivors so children the assault itself is less traumatic mm-hmm. than not being able to share that with a safe adult especially parents Mm. are being believed when they disclose it this is more traumatic for for the child so Mm. I think as parents and as adults we have a lot of power we have a lot of influence in the way that children feel Um, because you know there is so much we can do to protect our children the end of the day the risk is there and life happens but we
1: can mitigate the risk of PTSD and trauma. It's so interesting that you say that because that is, um, that was my experience actually. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the assault that was the most traumatic. It was the um, not being believed and not being heard. And what has kept coming up even just throughout our conversation now is the the that sex is so taboo to talk about you know and that's the reaction that I think um, is the most traumatic reaction to get from people is that oh no we don't talk about this that didn't happen let's you know move on so what is it about sex do you think that makes it so taboo to talk about? Yeah that's a very interesting
0: question and to be honest I had to do some specific research on this topic because when we studied when I studied sexology it wasn't something that was discussed or I learned but it is taboo in most societies and in most cultures I haven't come across a culture that is very sex positive and sex is just like eating drinking and you know you just talk about it every day so yeah I, I think what I learned was that sexual behaviors of people were regulated or policed in some ways to maximize the survival of the group. So that means that for example when sexual be- certain sexual behaviors were controlled or regulated, their risk of sexually transmitted infections were controlled in some ways. Oh. Um, so it maximise the survival of the group, for example. Or inbreeding, so discouraging people to have sex with a close relative, which, you know, can increase the genetic abnormalities, for example. Mm -hmm. So this is one reason uh, that I learned why humans started to police each other's sexual behaviours. And the other one, interesting one, is that when people started agriculture Mm -hmm. and settled in one place the land inheritance that became really important Mm. Um, and the status that that brought if you were a landowner for example so it was important for people to know and recognize their own children and therefore I mean back then they didn't have dna tests and things like that so they started to control women, especially their sexuality, so that they wouldn't go off and have sex with whoever they wanted because oh. they they wouldn't know if you know this child is really the child of this landowner or not. Oh my goodness, yeah, so I thought that was really interesting, which makes sense, and now, when I think about it, it makes sense that why women's sexuality has always been much more controlled in police than male sexuality, and I think this is the reason because. As a woman, it's obvious if the child is yours or not because, you know, you get pregnant and you give birth to the child. But for a man, especially back then, they wouldn't know.
1: Wow.
0: So, that explains so much. Yeah. But what, you know, what this theory doesn't explain is that then why isn't there so much stigma and shame around mm-hmm. sexual assault? Because even if a woman's sexuality was controlled, still a man could force himself on the woman. Yes. <laughs> and But that is not, based on my experience, rape and sexual assault is not as shameful in many cultures as women going off and having sex with whoever they want. So, you know, female promiscuity. Yes, yeah. So, yeah, that's just really interesting, I think.
1: Oh, I mean, but does it make sense in that in that way, that parentage kind of way that if the woman is assaulted by the man, they still know the parentage of the child? So that could that explain the the lack of or um, well, the less shame? I mean, I'm not saying that's a yeah. good thing.
0: No, no, I understand. You're just um trying to yeah. Extend it. The, yeah. yeah why. I don't know. Yeah, it's mm. very interesting, I think. But I think it's not one thing. Mm. It's multi-layered. Mm. And the fact that for many years men have been in positions of power and patriarchy and all of that, that plays a role as well. Mm. but
1: when you have more privileges then you are less questioned Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so kind of I just want to touch on that shame topic then as well because well talk to me about I guess what does sexology say about sexual shame that's Mm. a very broad question but what comes to your mind
0: I don't know what sexology as a field Mm. says. like maybe very broadly very generally that no sexual behavior is wrong as long as it's consensual. Yes, um, and I think obviously evil as well comes into play.
1: Yes, it's and only what comes to my mind
0: um, yeah. in terms of general sex view of sexology. So if we feel shame, it's because we are socialized to feel shame, not that right. sex inherently is shameful. Yes, but my my personal view of shame is that it has a function, Mm -hmm. and for different reasons that we talked about, shame has been taboo and stigmatized. And so, as children, we learn to avoid certain topics, not Mm. to talk about certain things, or not to show certain behaviors. And if we do, we feel shame around it because. Shame is a very strong emotion that inhibits certain behaviours. So if you're a child, your resources for survival are dependent on adults, your parents, your caregivers, your community. Hmm. Something needs to maximise your resources, yeah, and protect you from being rejected by that community hmm. or by your caregivers. Therefore, if um, a thought or a feeling or a behavior that you have doesn't align with the values of that particular culture or community it's very possible that you feel shame because it protects you mm, yes so in childhood especially it has in my view this is my personal view it has a survival function but then mm. when that shame stays on and as an adult you know you're bigger most likely your resources are not dependent on your caregivers anymore that's mm-hmm. when it becomes problematic mm-hmm. it's not serving you anymore but it's just you know the residue is just there still and so that's when we support clients as sexologists to process that shame mm-hmm. to acknowledge it to make room for it but hopefully Find other ways to relate to your sexuality or that sexual desire or behavior that you have, yes. Instead of feeling shame around it, mm.
1: that's so exciting. That that kind of to know that that can can be done. That we can sort of shed that shame around sex. Tell us about a really rewarding interaction that you've had with a client where maybe they've shed some shame or or maybe they've uncovered something about themselves that they. Didn't know before when it came to their sexuality. What's sort of the most, one of the most rewarding experiences that you've had within this work? I've had a lot of positive
0: and rewarding experiences, and that's what I love about this work. But one thing that specifically comes to my mind is about one client, and he gave me permission to share his story so I will just give a little bit of the information here because not all of it is relevant but Mm -hmm. this um, man he was in his late 70s and he came to see me because of the feelings of shame that he had around a particular sexual behavior and sexual desire that he had and he Mm -hmm. said that he's felt this feeling of shame for many many years and he's tried different ways of overcoming it or just not doing that thing or not thinking about it anymore and nothing's really helped and he was really worried that there was something wrong with him or maybe this desire that he had was the result of childhood trauma or something that maybe he didn't remember so he was really trying to make sense of it and so when I reframed that sexual behavior as intense sensations and that Mm. everybody um, has a threshold for sensations and sometimes some people would like to go beyond that threshold a little bit and it's very different for everyone and I gave this example of chili that sometimes people love to eat chili and for people Mm. Like you, Amanda, who don't like chili. I don't like chili. (laughs) You probably don't understand, like, why would someone want Mm. to eat something that causes them pain or makes Mm -hmm. their whole face go red and sweat and and all of it? So it's the same with um, when it comes to sensation play. When, for example sexual behaviors so some people enjoy that sensation it's because of mm-hmm. the the adrenaline that is produced in our body the endorphin and lots of different hormones so when I gave him this a very brief explanation and we worked a little bit also around shame and the function of it mm-hmm. he started to cry and it was mm-hmm. such a very touching moment and I was very I felt very sad and very happy at the same time because the reason he was crying was out of relief. Mm. And he said that not all my life I've felt like this, but now I can make peace with this part of myself. And, yeah, I obviously felt happy for him that he could finally make peace with this aspect of his identity and himself, but at the same time very sad that it took him over 70, 80 years to yeah. be able to experience this relief. And so, yeah, this was one wow. of the work that I do with people and yeah, it's I feel very, very privileged and honoured to be in this space with people.
1: Yes, um, that sounds amazing. And, yeah, I know what you're saying in terms of it taking so very many years but I mean that, that's so powerful that he even he can live the rest of his life you know without that shame I mean that's huge so what can we do to encourage people to reach out sooner because it's great that he reached out at that point mm-hmm. but what can we do as people who are not necessarily sexologists but where you know we're sex positive and and we're trying to make a bit of a difference and raise awareness about this sort of thing. What's your, I guess, perspective on what we can do to mm. make sex less taboo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great
0: question. I think normalising talking about it.
1: Mm-hmm
0: and and I'm not saying you know go out and talk about masturbation with everybody in the office mm. <laughs> but yeah, sure. of course yeah. it needs to be contextual and appropriate but you know, if someone discloses something to you honoring that mm. and normalizing it that yeah you know sex and sexuality is part of everybody's identity regardless of whether you feel sexual even if you don't feel sexual still sexuality is part of your identity you can mm. identify as asexual for example um so yeah in that way and maybe being mindful of the comments that we make of, about other people and the other people's sexual behaviors and fantasies and desires because you know if you and I were friends mm. and I make fun of a third person I'm still sending you a message that I'm a safe person or not for you to disclose to me so yes I think mindful of the language that we use to talk about other people and yeah what are your thoughts what do you think are some of the things people can do to help each other
1: yeah yeah look a lot of what I've learned I guess is from you what I have found most helpful I think is um, when I, you know, when we were first kind of getting into this um, together, I remember talking to you about some things that I thought were, like, quite out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and what you did was responded really normal, like you responded like as if I'd just ask you what you wanted for lunch sort of thing, like you just maintained your kind of composure and and i mean i don't think you had to try to maintain your composure just to you it was just really normal to talk about so i think um what i do notice is um when people go oh my gosh is that really you know what you're getting up to on the weekend or oh my you know laughing and having those sort of giggly moments and yes sex can be really playful but um part of what i found really helpful what you did was that you didn't giggle or anything. You just took it like it was this normal conversation. So that, I think that's really powerful. And I don't know, another thing I guess is what I try to do, and I'm wondering if this is helpful, is just really try not to make any assumptions, you know, about people. So when um, I remember meeting um, a colleague uh, ages ago and their partner had a um, unisexual name and I just said, oh, are they, um, you know, happy in their job or something? I didn't sort of say he or she or, you know, sort mm-hmm. of assume that kind of, um, assume to know what their sexual orientation was. Yeah. So maybe, um, yeah, things like that, you know, are they kind of helpful?
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. So it's, again, around language and inclusive language. And... Yes. Yeah. But it's interesting. I don't remember that conversation that we had. <laughs> <laughs> really that i made you feel like oh, yeah it's normal but what i do remember is one of our latest conversations that we want to one day travel around europe and find all weird and wonderful places um that i don't know they do maybe kinky yes. things or not but yeah maybe cultural differences around sex and sexuality that i think that would be a really really amazing experience
1: Yes, I feel like that would be so fun and I do remember um, receiving that from you and thinking, wow, I would, that is so different and I am absolutely fascinated (laughs) and I'm not necessarily going to be involved in it, but I would absolutely love to, you know, kind of be a part of that. And, yeah, I think that's really exciting that when we, What I have found in working with you is that there's this whole other world that we don't um, talk about and we don't really explore because of that shame and taboo. And when you do, it actually creates this whole new lease on life. And there's so much out there that we haven't, yeah, haven't even thought about when it comes to um, our sexuality. And yeah, just, you know, engaging with people like you or having you as a friend is just like, yeah, I don't think you'll quite know how... Um, how much um, you just being you and having your really positive view on sex is helpful for the people around you to, to support their own sexuality. So, thank you. That's that's
0: great. But I also feel the same way that you know we can have these conversations and yes. share similar interests and passions and drives um, to create yes. a safer world for everyone. But also, like you said, sex doesn't have to be something serious. it can be playful it can be creative it can be fun it can be feared it can be amazing it can be boring (laughs) so many many different ways that sex can be and and yeah sexuality is much broader than just sex and I think Mm. this is something that um I found helpful in having conversations with people to understand that when we talk about sexuality it's not just sex that we're talking about we talk Mm. about gender roles gender identity we're talking about intimacy which is different to sex Mm -hmm. we are talking about you know connection power dynamics Mm. so many different aspects of life Mm. um, is about sex And I remember I read this quote somewhere. I don't remember who this is by, but I really like it. And it says, everything in this world is about sex, except for sex, that's about (laughs) something else. Ah! I think it's very true because Mm -hmm. sex is hardly ever just about that biological act of having sex. Mm. Usually the underlying drive and motivation is something else. And so that's why it's, Relates to all aspects of well being, not just sexual
1: health, as in being free of disease. Right, yes. Which is, I guess, um, you know, if we don't talk about sex and we don't get to know what, you know, our own sexuality is like, we're actually missing this whole entire aspect Mm -hmm. of our well being that we could, that could be contributing to a really kind of meaningful life so I think that's what's so exciting about this work is that finally you know we're talking about it and and Mm -hmm. there's people there to support and there's people to say well actually that's really common and that happens all the time um you know should people come up against some you know sexual concerns and things like that and it's not yeah and I guess what I've sort of learned from you is that often it's not really actually a problem. It's just actually really common. And it's about reframing and, and looking at, you know, yeah, different ways of of doing things. Mm-hmm. I've got a question for the listeners
0: now. That's <laughs> <Yes>, great. <laughs> We've been talking. I was thinking, you know, would people be interested if we had a workshop that was designed around creatively and playfully engaging with sex so discovering something that is different to your whatever normal is for you whatever is your baseline mm. and if you are interested then just send us a message on relate sexology.com mm-hmm. and yeah if we have enough interest we can create that workshop
1: how exciting so do you mean as in um, you know if people are interested in learning um, to try a few different I get, or learn about different things that can be done mm-hmm. or different ways that they can play, you know, sexually and mm-hmm. aside from what they're currently doing, is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Because okay. I think,
0: you know, um, what I have in mind, just to be clear, is not teaching people specific techniques mm-hmm. positions or things like that, but yes. being able to support them through a process to discover or connect with their own creativity and playfulness so that they can go off and have amazing sex and they can come up with creative ideas and playful ideas Mm -hmm. to relate to their sexual partner in a different way
1: or to their own to themselves because sex can also be solo so that's what I have in mind that sounds really great because I think there's a lot that we don't quite know. I think when we think about sex, we just think about sexual intercourse. We don't realise there's, you know, you you mentioned sensation play, like mm-hmm. there's all these other types of play, like it would be lovely to, yeah, learn about, you know, what, what each of them is and, and uncover would we, yeah, enjoy that. How great. Okay, yes, let us know if that is something that you are keen to learn about. I guess one thing that I would love to learn a little bit more about, and maybe this isn't necessarily this podcast, but a bit more about um, women's sexuality and that sort of solo sexuality that you were talking about. Um, Because I do think that people wonder, you know, how can I have sex when there's no one to have sex with, you know, Mm. but what you're saying is that we can. Um, Any, I guess, hints and tips for the listeners out there on where to start when it comes to solo sex?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a very good question. And it's a very important question, I think, because the way I see sexuality is that we first and foremost have a relationship with our own sexuality. Mm -hmm. And after that comes relating to other people, a sexual partner or partners. Right. And so building that foundation, if you want to ever have partnered sex, building that foundation with yourself, knowing what you want, what you don't want. And mm. I think this is something that in the context of having conversations around consent, I always mention is that if you don't know what you want, how can you consent? Mm, yes. You can, of course you can say, well, I'm willing to give it a go, but wouldn't it be better if you had an idea of what sort of touch you like what sort of you know fantasies you have Mm. what kind of environment would help you to get more in the mood to have Mm. experience more sexual pleasure or sexual arousal so I think regardless of whether you want to have partnered sex or not it's really important that you spend time with yourself having solo sex or self-pleasure or masturbation or whatever you want to call that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, do spend some time with yourself and mm, try to great. get to know yourself physically and psychologically. So mm-hmm. what am I, What turns me on? What turns me off? Or what are my deepest, darkest fantasies? Like oh, yes, <laughs> even, yeah, even knowing what you like or what are the things that I feel shame around. Mm. and um, you know you can you have the option of processing that with someone like a sexologist or a psychologist if if they're willing to yeah there's so much that we can do and I think there is again shame around masturbation self-pleasure especially for women okay I think this again relates to the topic that we talked about why women's sexuality has been policed and regulated and controlled over history Mm -hmm. so in my work i see that masturbation in general it is it is stigmatized and people don't feel very comfortable talking about it but especially for women there are extra barriers for some women obviously not everyone but um for many women so yeah spend some time with yourself go and have fun and you know experience experiment with different Toys, if you like. If not, you have your own hands that you can touch, mm. not just directly your genitals necessarily, but your whole body. Get to know mm. your body, what type of stroke you like, what sort of mm. pressure you like, which parts of your body are more sensitive, which parts are less sensitive. And you'll be surprised if you've never done this before, the things that you discover. I always have people coming back and say, I didn't know that, you know, this my upper arm was just so hypersensitive oh. or this numb or
1: you know. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, that's great advice. It's a really good place to start. What I did actually find really helpful was um a little while ago you created a, a quick video on YouTube about your desire style and you talked about different styles that you have and I found that really fascinating to go oh what's my desire style and do I like to you know listen to gorgeous music or do I like that you know heat or sensations things like that so that was that was really fascinating um we can pop the pop the link to that in the um, show notes if anyone is interested awesome okay well just to finish up I guess you know what exciting things are happening in um the relate space at the moment
0: So one thing that I'm very excited about is a book, the book that I mentioned earlier today um, Mm -hmm. that I've written, and it's with a publisher now. It's called Raising Sexually Intelligent Kids. Mm -hmm. And it's a resource for parents and educators, teachers, caregivers. It has a lot of practical tools and worksheets, conversation starters with kids and I've answered the most common questions that parents and caregivers have about sexuality and sex education. So, you know, what if I see my five-year-old playing doctors with right, friends yeah. and so sort of what, what should I say? How should I react? So I think questions like this. So, right. yeah, that's um, with the publisher and we are hoping that it's released in November. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Year, 2023. Mm-hmm. And...
1: Well, that's pretty exciting.
0: Yes, it is. I'm very excited about it. It's been in
1: the making for three years. (laughs) Oh yes.
0: Almost almost done.
1: Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Thank you um, so much for that. I feel like most of us have played doctors at some point. Um, So that's a great question to have included in the book. Yeah. Um, Yeah, awesome to chat today.
0: Yeah, no, thank you, Amanda. Thank you for having this conversation with me. Yeah,
1: thanks for being you and working in this field with, with me. And it's such a privilege to, yeah, learn from you and, and work in this space to, yeah, I, I, it's lovely that we're both so passionate about mm-hmm. creating that sexually safer world. So thank you for all your hard work too.
0: Yeah, thank you. And thank you as well for being such an awesome colleague and, and friend and yeah I feel so privileged to have you as part of the team as our communications manager and you face the same challenges that I do when we want to promote the yeah. world sex being taboo and being filtered and being censored and not being able to access all the usual marketing strategies that other businesses have so yeah, it's good to have someone next to me Awesome. (laughs) We'll get there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we will. We will.